Hello and welcome. My name is Assad. My name is Jamie. We're two surgical trainees in the north of England, and this is the podcast that aims to dissect, to probe, to anatomize, and analyze what it is to be a surgical trainee. Welcome to It's Always Sunny in Surgery. In this episode, we're talking about important topic, bullying, undermining and harassment. And we have a very special guest, Mr. Simon Fleming, orthopedic surgeon based in London, who has uh, done some outstanding work in raising awareness and bringing about uh, uh, somewhat of a culture change, especially in surgical training. We're very new to this, Simon. We started this podcast just a few months ago. And as a result of that, we started getting into medical Twitter and your your name came up quite a lot when we started out. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> um, but I had I had heard of you before, mainly because of your work with um, Bota, of course, and this uh, campaign, Hammer It Out. Um, you've spoken yeah. publicly a lot about um, the topic of bullying, undermining, harassment. Could you just give us a summary of how you became interested and involved in, in that campaign? Yeah, so basically... Uh, I probably decided I wanted to be an orthopod uh, in my fourth year of med school. Um, I was in the Royal London on the 7-7 bombings. As you can imagine, it was quite a day. And there was like this corner of people that just had this aura of like, we've got this. We're making decisions. We're getting things done. We're fixing people. We're sorting things out. I remember being like, I'd quite like to be like them when I grow up. Um, and, and throughout my life and, and training what have you there would just be these moments and it happened at medical school I've, I've spoken quite openly about it where um things would happen or things would be said that you, that I would kind of play along with laugh along with nod along with and then feel really crappy like kind of guilt and shame and anger and go home and be like do I hate myself why what what's that about and we now know that that's moral injury where basically you act against your core values and so a bit of you inside kind of Go, goes a bit wrong and and uh, the more t- when I qualified I still kind of wanted to be an orthopod and you would hear these cliches about them uh and and it, it didn't mesh with who I was but then when I met the good ones and worked with the good ones I was like that's exactly who I am and what I want to be and then I, I became a core trainee and again I had these moments where I was like on one hand that this kind of cognitive dissonance of on one hand, this is absolutely where I feel I should be, and these are my people, and this is my community, and this is what I want to do till I retire. And on the other hand, there are moments or days or weeks where I feel really ashamed of who I am and who I'm around and what I'm a part of. And so I, I got involved with with both of the British Orthopedic Training Association. <laughs> nobody, nobody was talking about this. It wasn't a topic of conversation. It wasn't on an agenda. EDI wasn't a thing. Culture change wasn't a thing. Like it was a thing that existed, but it wasn't, it wasn't as central to everything as it is now. And I'm unashamedly proud of the fact that, that we were the first people to be like, should we look at this? This is what I'm going to stand on. I'm going to stand on like trying to 
de detoxify orthopedics. And so we we did the census and I, I designed these questions around culture and we asked around bullying, undermining, harassment, discrimination. And we got the data set back that that my mates still call my oh shit moment. And so uh I I presented it at the BOA. Um and I kind of expected to finish my presentation and for that one person to stand up and do the slow clap. And then another person stand up and clap and then like there'd just be raucous applause and I'd be carried out on people's shoulders. It's like, and of course that's, that's not what happened. Everyone lost their minds. Uh, how dare I? Who are the worst? Like lots of blame, lots of finger pointing, lots of it's not me. It doesn't happen where I am. Lots of who said that about me or who said that about us. Um, and that was, that was how it was born. And, and in my head, it was going to be a 12 to 18 month passion project while I was president. But it just took on a life of its own because of the number of people who came out the woodwork and started sharing their experiences in again, initially in orthopedics, but then very quickly. And I'm talking about within weeks, people from other surgical specialties and within months, people from other medical specialties. And within a series of months, I was getting messages from all over the world going, yeah, this happens with, with us too. And, and this really, this really matters. So I took a deep breath. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to speak out about this stuff and there's going to be consequences. And this, this is probably going to be a thing that becomes very central to who I am and what I do. And you suddenly realize that you can't just be like, Hey everyone, this is bad over to you. And equally, you can't just put a poster up on a wall and be like problem solved. And that's sort of how it started. And yeah, it sounds very American, right? But like my journey started because, because then it evolved organically. And, and yeah, like I'm not ashamed to say that, that kind of I, I started that UK journey and not only that happened, but it was ortho. And someone said, um, orthopedics leading the country in a culture change program is like UKIP running race awareness courses. <laughs> and I was like, holy, well, all right then but it was just it was it was so powerful because it was us was why everyone I, I think it had such an impact because actually we were the ones who took a look in the mirror and were like yeah we could probably do better hmm. it, it's very interesting that you say you got a lot of backlash when you first started talking about it um <laughs> oh yeah what, why do you think that was was it people denying that it, uh, that bullying occurred or that they what, what? so so for me, and again, I, I've, I've reflected on this loads and, and I couldn't understand at the beginning. And then I went to a, a thing in the States, um, which is a great story because, uh, <laughs> the US, or the scientific arm of the US federal government basically slid into my DMs and I assumed it was a troll. So I blocked them. Um, and then about three months later, one of my friends from the States reached out and was like, this is your Twitter account, right? And I was like, yes. And they're like, we've been messaging you. And I was like, what? The National Academy of Science. That's like a made up name. That's like one of those like predatory journals. And and he was like, no, man, that's the National Academy of Science. We have like 500 Nobel laureates. Um, anyway, and so I went out to this thing in the States and um, I heard this amazing talk from a, an American educator who said that, that fundamentally change is loss, right? You are, you are asking people to lose or at least perceive, but often actually lose something right now, whether that's the status quo or their understanding of their place in the world or their power or their privilege or their place on a committee or whatever, 
it's loss. And so what you realize is that what I've been up to for the last 10 years or so fundamentally induces the grief cycle that you learned about in medical school, right? So it starts with denial. And it did. And it does. Uh, it didn't happen. It doesn't happen. Not where I work. Not me. Uh, I've never seen it. Um, and then it tends to evolve into anger. People get really, really angry. They get either they get frustrated because they're like, well, why can't we fix this? And why is this a problem? And why don't we just fire the people who are doing this? And or it feeds it comes from the the anger bit because it often does feel like blame right? You're a bad person. You're a bully, which is how I started. If I'm honest, there was a lot of finger pointing and I, that was wrong. That wasn't the way to go. And I evolved from that. Then you tend to get the bargaining phase of the grief cycle, right? Look, Simon, we agree that there are problems, but why don't we just focus on um, people who are bullied on Thursdays, whose names start with the following letters or whatever. Like they try and minimize the problem and rationalize the problem look simon we will put out a policy statement and that's probably enough to start with or whatever then uh, the the grief cycle talks about depression what people get is just overwhelmed because it's so big and where do we start and everyone's so angry and and can i not just not can I just not, can I, and then you get to acceptance where people are like, right, fine, this is a problem. Let's fix it. Let's move on. Let's get something done, whatever. The, the fact is that for the first couple of years, a significant number of people were stuck on the anger denial bit. And some of them are still there. I, I raised concerns about the FRCS, right? We have, we have evidence that there's differential attainment. If you're a woman, you do less well, you've got less likely to pass. If you're a person of color, the same. And then there's an intersectional thing. And basically, if you're a single white guy, you're the most likely to pass and then all the way down. Plus it's financially crippling and psychologically harmful. And people are still kind of coming out the woodwork with their anger and denial, like aimed at me. And I'm like, all I said was, can we have a conversation about how there might be better, safer, kinder fairer more equitable ways of assessment and they're like why do you hate it why do you want to lower standards why why do you and it's like where's this coming from and the question is like what are you so angry about what are you so angry about what are you so afraid of don't you patronize me i've been this exam is the best version of an right and when my mum was growing up the best schools were the ones that hit the kids the most like, my mum talks openly about how when you selected a school for your children, you asked around about, like, which which ones don't spare the rod because they're the best schools. And now we know better. And so there's this quote by Maya Angelou of, like, do the best you can until you know better, and once you know better, do better. And, again, I, I don't know why I keep talking about my mum. I was talking about, to my mum about the, this um, podcast, actually, a week or two ago. And... Um, Mum reminded me of her story where she said, but she used to work in finance before she had me. And she said on a Friday afternoon, the boss would come around like the chief exec. And if you were a man and had done a good job that week, you got a handshake. And if you were a woman, you got a bum slap. And she was like, it wasn't sexual for the women. Right. (laughs) Right. But she was like, we, we wanted our bottoms to be slapped because it was a good job. And she's like, and I look back on that now and I'm like, what? What? But, but this is the conversation I have to have with people of like, that's not okay anymore. Well, it was okay last week. Yeah, loads of things were okay last week, but now they're not. 
And also you often go, were they okay? And they go, well, but, but again, you, you get people afraid of witch hunts. So I've been doing loads of work, uh, which I'm very proud of kind of launching the conversation around sexual assault and rape in the UK in surgery, uh, with the support of the Royal College of Surgeons actually. And, and a load of people come out the woodwork and said, I'm so afraid there's going to be a witch hunt. And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, in 1974, I pinched the nurse's bottom on the ward. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, it's just how things were done in those days. And I'm like, but you knew it wasn't cool, right? And they're like, you were. I'm like, no, you did. And they're like, yeah. Could I get in trouble for that? And I'm like, yeah, maybe. Like, I've, I've been really open that some of my behaviors at medical school were fundamentally unacceptable. And if someone were to choose to pursue me for those behaviors, the, the only thing I could do would be to apologize and hope that my growth and who I've become and what I've done since then would demonstrate growth <laughs> and change. But yeah, like, I kind of knew I was being a dick and I, I still behaved in that way and just because i wanted to fit in and all the rest it doesn't it doesn't super really excuse those behaviors so again that pushback it all comes from these places of, of fear and uncertainty and grief and loss but it manifests in some really interesting ways from threats to my career which i literally still get on a at least weekly basis i haven't had a death threat in a while but um it's an emotive thing the 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 work i do you know simon it's it's remarkable that you do it i mean i'm not trying to lay empty platitudes at your feet or whatever but looking through twitter you see some people have got really really carefully curated profiles and they present this like really manicured image and like all the stuff that you've put out on the internet, all the all the things that you've done, all the talks that you've given, your sort of messaging on this is really, really consistent. And when you say that you're committed to it, like I really I believe that because everything is genuine. We probably need more people like you, but it, you were, you know, you're like a lightning rod. I can't imagine the sort of anger and hostility and vitriol you just invite onto yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, look. You don't want too many people like me for a variety of reasons, but, um, but, but mostly you, you need a certain number of disruptors, but you don't want everyone to be a disruptor because then you have chaos. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, I made a choice and I knew what I was doing. And I'm sure part of it was due to my upbringing. Dad, dad was a Holocaust survivor. My, my sister runs a, an advocacy charity. I do what I do. It, there's probably something there, right? Um, but it's not easy. Uh, it's really isolating. It's really hard work. There are days and weeks where uh, it can be really lonely or I can get really low or, you know, the first time someone threatened my career, I was like, what have I done? A bunch of people who don't care about me, right? Like if I get kicked off my training program, there's not going to be a rally. People going to be like, that idiot. Anyone could have told him that was going to happen. Like, it, you know, if I don't get a, tra- a, cons- a consultant job, there will be a bunch of I told you so messages, mostly. It's nice because from where I started, where it was just me, and I mean it was literally just me, 
to where we are now, where there are a small but reasonably vocal community doing similar work. It it, it doesn't make it any less uh, hard, but it, it reassures you that 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 A, you're not alone. B, you've built something sustainable. So if I were to get hit by a bus tomorrow, I don't think these conversations would stop. One of the things that gets thrown at me a lot is like, he's just in it for the plaudits. And what and what plaudits would those be? And they're like, well, you know. And I'm like, no, I, I don't. What What is that? Um, of, of the 350, 400 talks I've given, I think I've been paid for about 25 of them. Again, my mates in the North America don't understand. They're like, you could literally be on a yacht right now because you are a public speaker. I'm like, yeah, I, you know, for me, it's just I sleep a lot better at night because I know that I'm doing stuff that aligns with my core values, which is which is about like respect. And, and you don't have to like people, right? You don't have to be like one of my, I've got real antibodies to this idea of like being nice. Being nice is, is, as harmful if not more so than than being a bully right so so being nice is not telling someone that they have food in their teeth or that they have body odor because you don't want to hurt their feelings and it would be mean being respectful and kind of treating people with with that kind of respect is is doing it in a way that you know you take them to one side and you go Uh, look, this is as awkward for me as it is for you, but there's something I feel you should know. And you don't do it in front of everyone and you don't take the piss and you don't publicise it. And so even even that, that, you know, there are... At no point do I ever say, like, we should all just be kind to each other or whatever. No, no. There are certain behaviours that we all know deep down are right and wrong. And there are certain behaviours that are more nuanced that with a bit of support and some talks and some training and all the rest just make us all happier people at work and get us more diverse teams and protect people from being unsafe and all that sort of stuff, which you would think is pushing against an open door. And yet you would be surprised the number of people who really don't like it, which doesn't surprise me at all. It doesn't shock me at all. You must want to do it at your very heart because you're, you're only making your own job and your own career more difficult. You're only getting more and more escalating threats like, You'll never get a job here. You'll never finish training, blah, blah, blah. We'll make it very difficult for you. So unless you truly believe in what you're doing, there's just, there's no need for you to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I am. I've been called unappointable by people who are relatively influential. I've had people. So obviously I'm at the stage now where I'm starting to, if not look for consultant jobs, kind of do that thing where you let the like you play coy you're like oh i'm not looking for jobs but if there was a job around i'd be really interested to talk to you maybe possibly perhaps um and i had someone recently i tweeted about it actually i had someone recently literally be like people are coming out the woodwork to tell us not to give you a job because um apparently you've hurt their feelings and i was like oh oh no like what have i done do i need to reach out to them and he was like oh no we're the reason we would want to hire you are the reasons they're saying we shouldn't hire you for like apparently you rock the boat and you're going to make trauma meetings less funny i'm like you can have fun in trauma meetings so long as the punchline isn't someone else's suffering like when i wrote the when becky fisher and i wrote the the paper around sexual assault someone stopped me uh, at a thing and was like why are you trying to spoil our fun what he was like he was like, obviously, I don't mean like, like really bad stuff. But you know, all of a sudden, what I can't be flirty or talk to someone about their boobs at work. And I'm like, 
Yeah. No, Matt. What? And 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 people feel really strongly about that. And and um, yeah, I I I do it because I don't think I could do anything else. And I do it because when I don't do it for one reason or another, and let's not kid ourselves, there are still people who have power and control over me. I I get moral injury. I come home and I feel rotten and I feel sad and I I feel tired and I feel sick and I don't want to go to the and I suddenly realize it's because a thing happened and I walked past it. I I do it because I it's who I am at a at a cellular level. It, it's very interesting though what in your story in talking about bullying and bringing up this important topic uh in the public sphere you the response has been what it sounds like to bully you into silence and you've kind of dem- you've almost demonstrated the problem the lack of insight on some people when yeah. they come at me with that stuff and i'm like really and and like don't get me wrong i've i've undeniably bullied people in the past and i i always say like if i if i behave in a certain way i'd want to be called out um and i think most of us have if we think about it we've used our power to make people do or not do something or feel crappy about themselves uh and then you you learn not to I once had a, a meeting with someone and he was really going for me. You've ruined your career. And if you haven't ruined your career, I'm going to make sure that it gets ruined sort of thing. And I had ISCP open, which for those who don't know is our online portfolio. And I was like, tappy, 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 tappy. And he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, well, as this is an educational meeting, I'm just making notes of what, of what you're saying for my own learning, obviously. And he was like, don't do that. And I was like, why? Because this is one of those chats that's just between men. Yeah, no, I think I might make notes. And he was like, well, well, then this conversation is over. And then like two days later, another consultant was like, did you start making notes while you were basically being threatened? And I was like, yeah. I was going to send him a work-based assessment about it. And, 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 And he was like, I honestly believe you would as well. I was like, what's like 4D chess, Simon? But the thing is, of course, these people have power over us. It's it's naive to think they don't. And it's always difficult when people on Twitter go, oh, it's, it's an illusion. These people can't don't have power over you. Of course they do. But they don't have as much power as they think. Power is fleeting. So much of it is perception. And they sometimes need reminding, A, you're an adult. B, there are other people who have more power than them. And C, actually, you have quite a bit of power yourself, not just as a trainee, but as generally as a human being, as a surgeon, as a whatever. And and you see it play out time and time again, often on social media, where people are just like, this thing happened to me today and it made me feel really crappy. And suddenly people come out the woodwork being like, what do you need? And they're like, oh, I'm not alone. And that's a big part of, of the toxic side of it. Uh, and you're right about the bullying a big part of it is is attempts to m- keep me and and others silent that's that's what they want right they- I think though that this conversation, firstly, it's important for, as you mentioned, people to realize that they're not alone when they're a victim of bullying and they're feeling down and to, to, to know that it's not just them going through it, but also, and I think you've touched upon this in some of your talks that 
it makes you reflect on your own whether whether you've been the perpetrator of of bullying and i think one of the things that i've sort of come to realize personally throughout my four years so far as a doctor is that it's actually sometimes quite difficult to remain respectful and um kind and and not to fall into that trap of of saying things that are undermining and um uh bullying to other to others and it's almost like it's a skill that you learn throughout your career yeah and you and you get it wrong and it's okay to get it wrong the thing is you can't keep getting it wrong over and 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 over again have i snapped at people have i shouted at people yeah of course i have now I identify, I've worked hard to identify those behaviors and and you do things, you, you apologize, you don't do it again, (laughs) like those sorts of things. And yeah, it it takes hard work because it's easier to just shout at someone and, you know, be dismissive. And you see it all the time. Our our colleagues in A&E are on the receiving end of huge amounts of it, for example, Mm -hmm. right? Because people are like, did you ever go to medical school? What kind of referral is that? Blah, blah, blah. And actually they're just trying to do their job. And they don't deserve that. And that's not fair. And again, and you can still have a disagreement with people. And this is the the classic med ed thing of like, oh, well, now I can't give negative feedback. Of course you can. You just don't have to be a dick about it. There's a difference between giving constructive negative feedback to a trainee or to a doctor or to a colleague and just making someone feel small and worthless. And they are very, 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 very different things. So many people, again, they virtue signal and they try to come across as like holier than thou and and. It's like, nah, don't, who are you kidding? Have you told jokes that, you know, I, have you told jokes that are inappropriate? Yeah, of course I have. Would I do it now? No, absolutely not. Am I ashamed and embarrassed? Yes. Did I kind of know they were not okay at the time? Probably. Did it get a laugh and did I want to fit? And, and, and it is okay to admit those things and be like, but I, I changed and now I don't do those things and I have learned. And especially for us, because so much of our training is like this quasi apprenticeship model, we do tons of role modeling. So I had someone reach out, reach out to me about six months ago and say that I bullied them when I was an SHO. And I said, what did I say? And they said that I'd said something like, um, uh, F1s should be seen and not heard. And I literally got like a, a shudder because I remember it being said to me and I don't remember saying it to them. And I was like, Jesus, I'm sorry. I can absolutely imagine I said that and I'm so sorry, but, but yeah, that kind of reflective piece again is really uncomfortable for people because it's not nice to look in the mirror and be like, am I the bad guy sometimes? It's like, yeah, statistically you are. Mm. Everyone thinks they're the good guy in their story. And, and, more often than not, you're probably somewhere in the middle of the bell curve. Mm-hmm. Simon, have you ever been bullied before you started the mammoth task that you have? I, I've been bullied on and off throughout my life. It's interesting, right? Because I'm a private school educated, straight, white man. But actually, I've very rarely fitted in. I was I was bullied at school. Uh, I was kind of picked on at med school, even though I was kind of in a couple of kind of coolish cliques. I, I still didn't fit in with the, I wasn't posh enough or well-moneyed enough to fit in with certain cliques. I wasn't um, sporty enough to fit in with other cliques. So I, I fit in other places and got picked on in others. Uh, I, I used to be a bunch fatter 
um, which which led to a significant amount of bullying. Uh, and I'm I'm Jewish. You know, you get anti-Semitism all the time. And again, sometimes explicitly, other times kind of subconsciously. I remember being at medical school and someone being like, you know, our coach being like, oh, everyone go to the showers. Oh, I can't say that to you, can I, Fleming? Uh, equally, I have a really nice pen that an ex-partner bought me for passing MRCS. And a consultant stopped me in the corridor to make some comment about you people and your congenital wealth. So, yeah, I've I've experienced a ton of bullying with the proviso that that is through a very particular lens. And I'm not looking for the world's smallest violin. But, yes, I have experienced. And, of course, like your question was before I started this work. So, yeah, for sure. Since I started this work, like a bunch Bullying, harassment and discrimination are three very different things, but often they overlap and there's a real intersectionality to it. Bullying is much more about power than harassment and discrimination, which tend to be more about um, whether you're being treated in a certain way, whether you are feeling a certain way and and obviously protected characteristics within the law, protected characteristics and stuff. But yeah, I've been bullied throughout my life, um, uh, which again, I suspect probably shaped my feel strength of feeling around some of these behaviors. What what was it like? Because you know, Ortho has a reputation of being pretty cutthroat. And I personally haven't experienced any bullying. But when I did a short rotation in it, I saw Regis getting bullied. And so that my friends now are cons- you know consultant upper limb surgeons. And the mere mention of another having to deal with that same consultant just, you know, makes them shudder them. Was that kind of your own experience that spearheaded your quest? In some places it was. Um, and it wasn't just in ortho. Uh, that was kind of the thing. And again, that's been borne out the more of this work I've done. I experienced it and witnessed it pretty much everywhere in one way or another. There's just this kind of toxic power, this kind of abusing people, making people feel small and, and worthless, just not treating people with respect. And I don't mean because people say, oh, respect is earned. Yeah, I, I kind of get that. But also there are certain respect that you earn by being alive and being a human being. And so you you earn that. And and yeah, I, I kind of saw it at every level. And and again, it's it's interesting because... You've got your colleagues who are like, I, I, I never want to engage with that person again because they're so problematic. And then, of course, you get the sort of flip side, which is the survivorship bias people who are like, I came out the other side and it didn't do me any harm. And of course, the argument is, if you came through all of that and don't think it harmed you, you were harmed a lot more than you realize. Like, if you can't look in the mirror and be like, you went through six years of having to stand up at the front of a room after a 72 hour weekend and draw graphs on a whiteboard and then be called a moron. And, you know, I've seen registrars be made to stand in the corner. I've seen registrars cry in clinic. When you start to talk to people about it, when you really unpick it, and again, it's interesting you say you've never experienced it. I reckon if we were to have a chat about some of the negative experiences you've had in training, you'd be like, Oh, is that what that's about? What's interesting is when we did the sexual assault paper, uh, one of the bits I wrote with the, with the definitions, like so that people know what I'm talking about. And loads of people were like, I didn't realize that I've been sexually harassed. And you're like, yeah, right. Because again, we, we tell ourselves, um, 
we tell ourselves that these things haven't happened to us because no one likes to think of themselves as a victim. And so those behaviours, when you start to really unpick them, people go, oh, they, they really are everywhere. And and it again, it makes people really uncomfortable because they suddenly realise it probably has happened to them or it's happened around them more than they realise. Interesting you picked up on this. The, I think one of the things that I've noticed, certainly in, in medicine in general, because we have such um, a hierarchical system, um, it's extremely difficult in some uh, instances to stand up for others when you witness bullying you know um like for example when you see a, a consultant bullying a registrar if you're the f1 or sho that's extremely challenging to be able to um say anything in that situation so a lot of this does just get swept under the carpet unfortunately do you think we're kind of moving to a point where people are feeling more empowered to speak up it at the moment when they witness these kind of things occurring yeah and again i think it's what really pisses off some of the people who are really angry out there i think in certain spaces, the hierarchy is completely flat. In other spaces, people are getting better at it. And there are all these models of, of you know, um, being an active bystander. So there are times where you can't speak up. Like it would, it would be career suicide or it would just be a bad move. And so you can, you can delay, you can go away and think about it. You can, you can delegate, you can go, Simon, would you mind having this conversation with me? I don't feel safe doing it. I did it today on Twitter. Um, uh, uh, some junior doctors reached out to me and said, there's no disabled staff, disabled parking where we work, but we don't feel safe raising concerns. Can you? So I did. Um, uh, there are, there are more and more ways of, of speaking up and speaking out that don't mandate you putting your head on the chopping block. And people are becoming more and more aware of those while also being aware that it is increasingly more and more appropriate and safer for them to be the one to raise those concerns. So it's this really satisfying thing of it is now easier for people to feel empowered to challenge these things themselves. But because we live in the real world, people are more and more aware of the other ways of challenging these behaviours so that they don't necessarily burn a bunch of bridges or or feel uncomfortable or, or feel scared or what have you. Um, and it's progress. It's slow and it's frustrating and it's not where we want to be, but it's definitely progress. Where do you think the next steps are then in, in terms of, I mean, we've started a conversation. People are talking about it. Do you think it's now, and, and of course we mentioned about, um, sort of, uh, training and things like that in terms of getting, um, this topic, uh, integrated into more official policies and things. Um, yeah. I mean, we're still in the early stages of this. Yeah. So the, the, the two things are what you need are, you need you need policy you need documents you need guidelines you need frameworks you also need robust systems of accountability as part of everything we do you need anonymous reporting systems you do need training um the australians have the operate with respect training that they do 
And depending on who you are and where you are in your career, certain facets of it are mandatory and certain facets of it are face to face because you shouldn't have be in a position of power and not understand certain things. And also, of course, again, once you've done the training, you know. So if you then behave in a certain way, they can be like, well, you can't feign ignorance. Um, it, the other bit that's difficult while doing all of that is the understanding that culture change is iterative. So it's accepting that the work never ends. And by ever, I mean ever. So in 20 years time, we will be talking about whatever the challenge culturally, socially is then. Um, And my sister and I were talking about this recently. The trans community have always existed. Like we have historical documents from way back, way back when. And yet, if you look at the conversations that are happening at local, national, international levels, at governmental levels, at healthcare levels, where they really were a topic of conversation, those are recent conversations. And we're still trying to make everyone less racist, less sexist, make people stop sexually assaulting and raping their their colleagues. Like, like that's the low-hanging fruit. And and there will be more to come. So, so a lot of it is about changing the system and changing individuals. So it requires a huge investment of time and money and people, which is, again, why people roll their eyes. But there are just so many reasons why it's worthwhile. It improves outcomes. It saves money. Bullying costs the NHS about £2.3 billion a year. There's so many reasons why the stuff I talk about is important. No matter what you, no matter what you care about, right? Even if you're a sociopath, it'll improve your outcomes. It'll improve your proms. It'll improve your CQC rating. It'll improve your national trainee survey data or GM survey data, whatever. Whatever your driver is, the stuff I talk about will improve it. And it's getting everyone on board with that and making them realize that it shouldn't be an afterthought. It should be core to everything we do because culture is who we are. That's the future. The future is this being part of our DNA. I just wanted to ask uh, briefly, Simon, like, congratulations, you've done it. You've ccd you know, you're like the, the, the lad they never thought could, and you've done it. How do you envisage you sort of carrying on your hard work as, as a consultant? Bear in mind that you'll primarily be fixed in one hospital, one region, you won't have that sort of fluidity. So there's the dream and then there's the reality. So the dream is that I get to work in a unit that recognise that who I am and where my strengths lie will add value to that unit in ways that maybe they've not been aware of before. So will I be that unit's highest volume surgeon? No, I don't think I will actually. Will I be that unit's most popular trainer? Will I do loads of medical education at a local regional level from delivering the training to research and all that sort of stuff? Yeah. Will I also have roles, hopefully, at local, regional, national and international level to make the stuff we've been talking about relevant, up-to-date, powerful and impactful? Yeah. Does that mean that sometimes I won't be at work? Also, yeah. But I'm hoping that there are units out there, both in the United Kingdom and abroad, 
who recognize that I'm going to do this work anyway, whether other people like it or not. And actually having me in your unit, having that unit badge or whatever under my name when I give that talk, when I publish that paper, I think is something to be proud of. Uh, you know, the, the unit I work in will be diverse and it will be have a growth mindset and it will have a culture that means that when, and it is when we cock up, we put our hands up and we hold ourselves accountable that we will be the unit that the medical students and the trainees and the SAS doctors and the allied healthcare professionals all want to come work in because they're like, yeah, I like how they do things there. And then people will come on fellowship to our unit and be like, we want to bring what you do back to where we work because wow, like everyone's just happier and you seem to make a bunch more money on your tariffs and you get less complaints and you can't make your junior doctors leave the ward. Like they want to be here. That's the dream. The reality may not reflect that. The reality may mean that I have to go somewhere and do a bit of that and and build certain facets of that into my job plan and make it apparent. But again, kind of going full circle back to where we started, because of who I am and what I do, it would be a naive unit that hired me with the expectation that I'm suddenly going to wind my neck in. Uh, again, like another quote from my mum. It's really funny. We were talking about this and, and, and I was, because I, I had someone say to me, um, those who can do, those who can't teach and those who can't teach go into medical education. Um, uh, which felt really good because I was doing a PhD at the time. And, um, she said, well, well, actually, Simon, you know, that film with, with Tom, Thomas Cruise. And I was like, yes, which one? And she was like, with the planes. And I was like, Top Gun. And she was like, oh, yes. Well, remember that it's that the prize for being the best pilot in America is you get to teach. Check you out, mum, with like the metaphors <laughs> and the allegory. And, and actually, I think that's the thing. I, I think it's the opposite. And, 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 Teaching and training is not just this thing that anyone can do. I don't think every unit should have trainees and I don't think everyone should be a trainer. And I hope that in the future people look at me and they're like, we want him not because he can do carpal tunnels really well or fix a distal radius really well or whatever, but because of all the other stuff he can bring to us, even though sometimes it will make us uncomfortable. I couldn't stop doing what I do even if I wanted to, I, I would, it would eat me alive. The rest of us who are perhaps not being bullied, not being undermined, not being harassed, what can we do as just rank and file grunts to kind of champion good behaviour on an everyday yeah. level? It's an awesome question. So uh, there's this catchphrase I love, which is, you know, what you permit, you promote. So, so fundamentally, all of us just need to live our values, right? It means you don't walk past stuff uh, unless you have to. And then what you need to be is 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 an active bystander. So what that means is I, I'm not expecting everyone to be like an advocate and be on their soapbox and be giving speeches. But fundamentally, what you permit, you promote. So each and every one of us can take responsibility for our little pocket of the world. No one's expecting you to be, it, it, you know, it, it's not all on the individual because there are systems at play. But you can't just throw your hand up and be like, oh, it's the system, I'm powerless. Each one of us can be an active bystander. Each one of us can make a little difference. And even if it's just 
please and thank you and treating people with respect. And that's it. You will see a difference start to declare itself in your workplace within about seven weeks is best evidence just from being a better human being to other human beings. I'd like to think that most of us probably do that, but I think every once in a while you need a little bit of affirmation. You need someone just to say, you know what? Um, if there's something that makes you feel uncomfortable and makes you squirm, don't don't ignore it. You know, it's like Obama said, I'm not trying to get grandiose here, but we are the change that we seek. So rather than looking to the arms of one person for salvation, we really have to kind of embody that. Yeah, absolutely. You've hit the nail on the head and that's it, right? You suddenly realise that you maybe can't change the world, but you can change the little microcosm you inhabit. And again, it doesn't require you to go full gung-ho. It just requires you to go, that's not right. I should do something about that. And then you let it percolate and you decide what you're going to do. And you do something and maybe you get it right. And maybe you don't, maybe you cock it up spectacularly, but you go, all right, next time I'll do that better. And that's part of the process too. The frustrating thing is it the change is tectonic. Like the world is changing, but it doesn't feel like it on a day-to-day basis. Simon, thank you so much for your time. You're like, uh, I was just thinking about the, the way in which I suppose we could describe you. It's like that, that bit um, from the end of the dark night, you're the, the hero we needed, but not the one we deserve. Like how someone can sort of so selflessly just make themselves the shield by which everyone else is like marginalized can stand behind. And then to be that the underdog who makes it, you know, honestly, it's really invigorating just to see someone who's so consistent with their morals and values against an organization or a system or even a a set of cultures that try and suppress or uh, stop that or derail that process in, in, in its tracks actually succeed is really that you you are kind of proof that the system is changing you know what i mean i mean my take home from all of that is that i'm batman so i that's my win and i'm sticking with it (laughs) i will tell you what that's that's a good place 